0: You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain.
1: Hello, welcome to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the one and the only, the great, the captain, Guy Moldcaster, and I'm Gareth Hall. We're recording at seven o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Hello to you, Captain. Did this weekend or last weekend live up to your expectations?
2: Great racing all around Australia, Gareth, yes. and uh, and next week you'll be... Uh, We'll be joining each other. I'll be in England, so it'll okay. be a different part of the day.
1: It will be. So, you're heading to England for the sales in the middle of our spring carnival. That's your that's dedication.
2: Yeah, Saturday night I leave after the Caulfield Cup. Friday morning I'm back before the Cox Plate.
1: So, what's the main aim when you head to England on a Saturday?
2: Uh, we're we're basically the catalog's been out for nearly three weeks or so. We've got our time form information and uh, we've got a long list and we'll see which horses get withdrawn and then work out which horses we can purchase. So these tried
1: horses that you're buying?
2: Yes, they are.
1: Yep. Do you think that we will be more active in their yearling sales instead of trying to buy these stays for big money? We'll try and take a punt and buy the the staying yearlings in a way for our Melbourne Cups and Cox Plates?
2: Yeah, there's a number of... um, of people buying yearlings at at this stage and, um, and a a number of them have been successful, but you know, it's a slow burn. Your your horses are giving away half a year before they start to acclimatise to Australia and to get into the big races and that they have to be four and five years old. So you have to have a patient owner for that sort of job.
1: Now proven thoroughbreds talking about, um, size that had success there on the weekend. And why do we need to go overseas sometimes? We're, we're producing some terrific middle distance horses these days and sprinters, and they're, they're coming from our Cox Plate champs and Savavabil, who, of course, produced I Wish I Win, who was very good in, in the Everest to finish second. And uh, think about it, of course, by So You Think Was Successful for Joe Pride and Proven Thoroughbreds. Geez, think about it. He just gets the job done. What a mighty horse he is there, captain.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's taken it's taken us, being meaning the the racing people, to re- a long time to realise how bloody good this horse is. Yeah, you know, I know you say I, I wish I win might have been a, a stride unlucky or a little bit unlucky, but maybe this horse is going to turn out to be a freak, and uh, he maybe was never going to get past him.
1: He just keeps on winning, and sometimes he has been underestimated. In fact, most of the time he's been underestimated because you just don't see horses put a pickle fit, picket fence like this horse has been able to achieve over his sh- short time as a, as a racehorse. He's a five-year-old; has only had what eleven starts. So, and, and I think that I think he proved in the Premier when horses come up to him, he finds a few lengths.
2: Yeah, he's a he's a real really good horse, and. It's amazing that he probably is a fourteen or sixteen hundred meter yeah. horse, but the way the money's dished out in Australia, you have to have them ready for the twelve hundred meters if they've got a slot and uh, and fair juice to probably the first, the second, and the third horses. They were all trained to the minute to run the twelve hundred meters, where 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 they probably look like they want to go further.
1: Yeah, so well done to to Joe Pride. Terrific trading performances there with both his horses think about and also private eye who he didn't have much luck he was caught wide off the track from that barrier draw and i wish i win just didn't get enough galloping room who knows if he would have defeated think about it but um when he got out it was probably a little bit too late i'd love to see these horses compete over 1400 meters i think that would be nearly their sweet spot there guy
2: well wouldn't it be amazing if uh if they had a 1,200, 1,400 and a 1,600 metre race, all worth $20 million and, and the same horses competed and collected points.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. was not Peter Volani think of that one?
2: No, he hasn't rung me yet, Garrett. Yeah.
1: Don't they have a race like, who won the Everest last year, like the Giga Kick? Don't they have the Giga Kick over 1,300 metres on Golden Eagle Day?
2: Yes, and they get points for that as well.
1: Correct. So, you will, you would imagine that you'll get some of the Everest horses that will go that way. Peter Moody's still weighing up whether he goes to a champion sprint or a champion's mile with I Wish I Win, or he sends him to the paddock. So that champion sprint, I think, is going to be a sensational race because your horse, the Kiwi Imperatrice, will be lining up in that against some of the Everest horses
2: and also the champions mile on the same day and the champion stakes on the same day over 2000 meters where the horses that have run in the golden Eagle come down to Melbourne and take on the horses that run running the Cox Plate. For
1: me, if I'm racing Victoria and I know Mooney Valley and the MRC probably don't want, oh, the MRC wouldn't be too bothered, but I think that that final day at Flemington should be the biggest day in racing for the spring carnival. And
2: and I, and yeah. I think it's heading that way, Gareth. Yeah.
1: Like I would have the champion stakes worth 5 million or try and get it to 6 million with a bonus for the Cox plate. Um, and that's like, that's what I would do. I think the champion stakes and especially the champions bowl and the champions Britain, they've got all the ingredients because, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the prize money, but it's where the, that, that, that race meeting is situated.
2: Yeah, and wouldn't it you know wouldn't it be good to have those races leading into the Hong Kong International races with bonuses on them?
1: Yes, and that's all. If you have, and then there we're a chance to get some of the big weight for age superstars like the LeBron James of the racing game. If if you can have bonuses for a Cox Plate Champion Stakes into the Hong Kong race meeting, international meeting, then surely you should be able to attract some of the best horses from the Northern Hemisphere.
2: Well, you know, even like Lucky Swayness and Golden Sixty, wouldn't it be great to yep. see them here?
1: I had a chat, chat to J Mac there yesterday on Giggy I mean, on on Giddy Up, and geez, he's bullish about Romantic Warrior. He loves his horse, and he's a he's a competitive beast, J Mac. And um, I think he's enjoying the knockers of Romantic Warrior at the moment because he he believes that he and Romantic Warrior can prove a point at the Valley on Saturday week. Your man Jay Mack, their guy.
2: Well, he got off Fangirl on Saturday and went to the airport and came to Melbourne to ride him on Sunday morning. Yes. So you know, that's dedication for you, and he's and he is pretty bullish. I know that.
1: Um, talking about Fangirl, his daughter of Sebring. Geez, when she gets a track like that, and the conditions and the profile of that race, I think suited her when well, they didn't go overly quick, but she was just close enough and travelled on the bit. She's got an amazing turn of foot.
2: Yeah, I think uh, fair juice to her. But, I mean, all she saw was the back of Animo's arse all, all last yeah. year. So, happy to see him go to the breeding barn. And maybe she's going to be half a length in front of him next year as well.
1: Who? Fangirl?
2: Yes. Yeah, well, Straight to Animo. Yeah, well, there you go. There's a match made in heaven, isn't there?
1: It is. But wonder if she'd really want to want to be with him.
2: Um, <laughs> Bit, of him. Yeah. Bit of bad blood. Bit of bad blood.
1: Um, what did you make of Mr. Brightside?
2: Uh, he ran pretty good. He ran, you know, like he turns up every week and he's yeah. had it. He had decent hard runs in Melbourne before he got to Sydney, but he'll be in the Cox Plate against Romantic Warrior and it'll be fun to see.
1: Can Fangirl beat them in, in the Cox Plate?
2: Um, She hasn't really tried 2,000 metres. I think her last win was uh, up in that distance range was when she won a group one at 1850. Yeah.
1: So that'll be interesting. I think Nash has been booked to ride her, and I thought Kovalika was heading to the Cox Plate, but you decided to go where the money is, guy. Unbelievable! So you're going to the Golden Eagle, dropping back to the fifteen hundred.
2: Yeah, I think he just needs a barrier, really, Gareth. He's had fifteen the other day. Probably ran just about some of the best sectionals of the race, and uh, and everybody saw him in the straight. He he powered past the heap of them. Just gave away too much start.
1: Who rides? They tell me Tommy Barry. I think's put his hand up.
2: Oh, I think there'd be plenty of people put their hand up, but um, I'm sure that'll all come out in the wash.
1: Okay, so can he win a, a golden eagle?
2: Um, I think it, for ten million reasons, you'll have yes. to say yes.
1: I'm um, just back and to the, yes. Well. Sorry, what was that, Captain?
2: There's plenty of money come from as well.
1: Yeah, so they should be. He's flying at the moment. He just hasn't had any luck in an Epsom and then a, then a King George. Just back to the Everest, if you have a look at the purchase prices for most of those gallopers competing in the Everest, you don't need too much money, Guy. So your budget's only 150000 this year for us. They're yeah, all I under, know. They're all the, under two hundred. these horses, racing for $20 million.
2: That's right. But there's a lot of $50,000, dollars $70,000 horses out there, and not all of them are running in the Everest either.
1: Yes, that's a very good point you make. But the Everest field was dominated by horses under two hundred, which is fact. Yeah,
2: that, that might be that might be this year. And maybe next year it's different. Correct.
1: <laughs> Talking like a true bloodstock agent.
2: What about a real real journalist? They love stirring up a little bit of whippy. Oh, at I'm
1: I'm just reporting the facts, and I'm asking my expert for his opinion. Um, Griff a Trapeze artist, geez, he's come a long way, but in saying that, it, it no, like that was a Caulfield cool Guineas where Benny Mellon stole it basically. You could have gone quicker in the middle stages, captain,
2: yeah, but wasn't it a good sidestep at the 70 meter mark?
1: Yes, he was blaming the cameraman, Benny Mellon. He got suspended and he, his suspension was dismissed. I, I felt a little bit sorry for Benny because I, I thought that like he did enough. Um, To try and straighten that horse up, he's stiff, he was two legs in front,
2: yeah, it was actually it was actually quite good um the media reporting on that that the fact that they didn't actually have a protest where being a man on the street watching the race live, I thought there would be a protest. I thought it would be dismissed, but they still didn't have it, but uh mm. yeah, I think that was fair juice. the right horse won the race and and a great ride by Benny
1: I think sometimes with protests we waste our time a little bit. As you pointed out, like the man on the street, oh, it's got to just to make them feel better for what, five or so minutes. We all know it's going to be dismissed. In fact, my belief is that the stewards have got a job and the stewards are professionals and experts in this field. They should call a protest if they think that a race should be decided in the stewards room. Um, Sometimes
2: we do waste our time a little bit.
1: Um, so, Griff, trapeze artist, that's a big day for him.
2: Yeah, he's, he's, he had a good number of yearlings, and they were big, strong brutes of things, and uh, that was good to see him get a Group 1 on the board.
1: I tell you what, Churchill, he's got that first Immortal that goes really good for Sammy Kavanagh. He he might just sneak into a Caulfield Cup first Immortal, but Attrition is a son of Churchill, who took out the Group 1 Turak handicap, so he's doing a mighty job that stallion.
2: Yeah, always looked a decent horse attrition though, didn't he, yeah. you know, and it was good to see Mitch Friedman get a Group 1 on the board, you know, he's he's battled along well and he usually deals with cheaper horses, even though you said all the cheaper horses were in the Everest this year, that horse wasn't expensive attrition either and he got a good group of owners into it and good on him for getting Group 1.
1: Yeah, big day for Mitchie Friedman, we had a chat to him on Getty Up this week and, you know, went... Like he's trained for nearly a decade, but when they get a good horse, there's still pressure because they know it's a good horse and they've got that, that job to get a result with him. And, you know, sometimes those trainers that don't get as much of an opportunity as others, um, I don't know, sometimes they might think about it a little bit too much, but he's done a mighty job with attrition and he's been able to get results.
2: The worst problem is Gareth, when they get a horse like that, yeah, they're always looking over their shoulder, wondering which big stable's going to pinch it off them.
1: Yeah. And that's the world we live in. if they want to get to the heights that they want to get to, then they've got to absorb that pressure and embrace that type of challenge guy.
2: Yeah, totally. But, you know, like uh, you get one good horse and it gives you opportunities to go to the sales and buy a few more. And that's when that's when you can get on your bike and, and keep improving and getting more winners, you know? Yeah.
1: Momentum's a beautiful thing in life.
0: Um,
2: totally. Earth.
1: Dare I ask? Here we go. You can, Amelia's jewel. Did you think that there were excuses or she just didn't handle the hot tempo of a Turak? Uh,
2: I think maybe pressure of a, a hard campaign, you know, like she had to travel all the way from the West. She won her first race very easy. A second race at the Valley appeared to be simple enough on paper, but. You know, when you're dealing with mayors, you're dealing with mayors that aren't in their own jurisdiction, it can be a little bit tough on them. And and the outward signs only come up on race day, and they did say she was a bit flighty in the mounting yard, and she took a little bit to get over the run. So maybe, you know, the third run in Melbourne might have been a little bit too much for her.
1: There's a couple of issues with her for mine, is that I've got a couple of good yard watchers that I talk to a little bit, and one who has watched her a lot in WA. And said, "Gareth, she was completely off the boil there on Saturday. You could not back her. She wasn't the Emilie's jewel that he knew. And then she, she just didn't. She didn't give a yelp when she was released off that bridle from, from Damien Lane. So, and she didn't eat up, and she wasn't herself. But she has bounced back a little, a little. So, I think the jury's out on her a little bit now to to see whether she can bounce back. I think there was genuine excuses, um, but the bloods come back normal. So Simon Miller has yet to really." Get to the bottom of why she's she's a bit flat and why she was before that that race there in the Turac. So they do they put the bleakers on her and, and drop back to a Golden Eagle and take her up that Hume Highway to Sydney. Um, time will tell. But she's by to uni as well. So Amelia's Jewel by that French side. What's their what's their best trips up in the the northern Northern Hemisphere guy? The sixteen hundred seen them out.
2: They're, to- they're totally versatile, Gareth. Yeah. But I mean you get a filly like Amelia's jewel if she goes home now and has a couple of weeks in the paddock she'll come back and she'll just mop up those perth races
1: yeah so you would go to perth instead of the golden well, eagle
2: well it's it's i'm not i don't train the horse i don't own the horse but usually off the back of a of a poor run it's hard to yeah. put the pieces back together in this environment when you're running against the best horses in Australasia.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's take a quick break. This is the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the Captain Guy Moldcaster, Gareth Hall, with you on the other side of this. We'll have a chat about my favourite moment from the weekend and it was from a horse that continues to deliver each and every spring.
2: You're listening
0: to Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain.
1: Welcome back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banner podcast with the one and the only, the captain, Guy Molcaster, Gareth Thor, with you. Do you know, they had a, I think it was in Sydney, there was $31.5 million in prize money up for grabs. And in Melbourne, there was $6.8 million, around that anyway. So, and a lot of that money was the Everest $20 million, which is taken up by the slot holders. But there's still a massive difference with the prize money on offer in the two different jurisdictions there on the weekend. But for me, the highlight of the day, the moment that gave me goosebumps, Guy, was in the Might and Power stakes worth a million dollars at Caulfield. It was the performance of Alligator Blood. Now, we all know that Deny Knowledge was going to go out and try and break their hearts. And we all thought at some stage during that race that Alligator Blood might be vulnerable with his hot tempo over a mile and a quarter. But Timmy Clark, that was an 11 out of 10 ride. The ability to rate a horse, leading upper field, but then Alligator Blood just blew them away, Guy. That was the best performance that I've seen from him. And I agree with, I don't know if I agree with Gay fully, but Gay Waterhouse and Wayne Hawks on this station both said that he deserves to be favourite now for the W.S. Cox playing.
2: You know, Gareth, it, a horse like Alligator Blood is a horse you dream of.
1: Yeah, beauty.
2: Can run just about any trip. He turns up every week. Timmy just has him rolling along wherever he's happy, pushes a button, says goodbye, smashes him. Couldn't believe he wasn't even money on Saturday. And I totally agree. Gets the, gets the Mooney Valley. He'll sit in a good spot and he'll go when he wants to go.
1: So you think he deserves to be favoured in the Cox Plate Alligator Blood?
2: Well, he's won, I don't know, has he won his last three or four yeah. or whatever in well, totally emphatic yeah. fashion? And then you get a horse that's run a nice pipe opener, so-called 80% fit in a different jurisdiction. He's favorite, Alligator Blood's not. I know which one I'd be backing.
1: You could, like he's a horse that, this is why I love racing, um, the story behind Alligator Blood. Owned by Alan Endres, or used to be anyway, with his family, and he's a colourful character to say the least. He's been he's bankrupt, of course, so he had to sell that horse to Jerry Harvey. Um, that that horse was with David Van Dyke to to start with, and David Van Dyke's an inspiring story after he had his personal battles with drug addiction, and then he got his life back on track, and this was his first real great horse, Alligator Blood won a Magic Millions and lost the Magic Millions, Um, and then was late for that race because the the truck got broken down there on the highway. So he just got to the races, then got a positive swab. Then they appealed that positive swab, and it was upheld, so they got the prize money. Um, Then had Kissing Spine, had an operation there, which usually is not good news for your thoroughbred. Then Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott have been able to do what they've been able to do with him. He won a Champions Mile last year, he had a minor setback before last year's Cox Plate, but under the circumstances, I thought his run was terrific. And then that change of ownership, he wasn't, he wasn't allowed to race in some states at the start of last spring. It's truly a remarkable story that only racing can produce, Guy Molcaster.
2: Well, it it's all sets up very well for a Netflix program, really, it does. Gareth. And Alan Andrews and- would
1: be fascinating, I, I reckon.
2: And you've and you've missed out on another part of the puzzle as well. Yeah. What about Gold Trip? Yes. Why wouldn't he win a Cox Plate?
1: Well, he's going to be hard to beat. We had a, I think that Cole. I was going to get onto that that horse. Like they, we had a bit of confusion here on Giddy Up yesterday. Um, I thought he was going to the Caulfield Cup and it was locked in. Now I must have missed missed heard a conversation I was having. I won't give up my um, sources. I think everyone knows. I, I was having a chat to Kieran and, and Will on the phone the other day, yesterday morning after track work, and I thought they said lock in the Caulfield Cup, and they, they said the Melbourne Cup, so I went with it. And I don't give a continental if I'm first or not. I was just having a, a conversation after the track work. Um, so they still haven't made the decision, and they were meant to make the decision yesterday afternoon. I've got a feeling in a perfect world, connections, and I had a chat to Jamie Lovett yesterday morning as well. They would love to go to the Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup. And I, and I, I, re- I think personally, the Caulfield Cup is a very winnable race. And the Caulfield Cup's been a brilliant lead-up race to a Cox Plate.
2: I think you might find, Gareth, they're just, they're just playing the media, they're playing the public a little bit. I think... They're just waiting until three o'clock this afternoon to make the acceptance. I think very well that they've got a jockey organized.
1: Yes. Huey Bowman. Saying,
2: well, I thought it was Huey Bowman or Ben Mellon.
1: Okay. One of those two anyway.
2: But why, why wouldn't he win a Caulfield Cup? Have a week, have a week wandering around the beach and come back and win the Cox Plate?
1: That's, like that's if reading between the lines, if he's my horse and I ask the question, like he does like he's... a little bit of sting out of the ground. And he probably got that a little bit at Flemington the other day in the Turnbull Stakes, but they say he's never been sounder. He's over those feet issues. So that's a bit of a myth now that he doesn't handle a, a firm track. So when you have a look at that Turnbull Stakes and the horses that he's competing against, I understand that he's got to give a few of those weight now in a Caulfield cup, but how do they beat him? after what we saw in the Turnbull Stakes.
2: Well, you know, like the biggest problem Zara had in the Turnbull Stakes was to get past the slow one coming to the turn. Mm. And he pushed it out of the way, and then the rest was history. Like, you can say how many good runs behind him, but I thought he was absolutely sensational.
1: So he'll he'll win the Caulfield Cup. And the great Dean Lester used to tell me, Gareth, that the, the greatest lead-up race to a Cox Plate's the Caulfield Cup and not enough do it for some particular reason. Like, Gold Trip was very good in a Caulfield Cup last year and unlucky in a Cox Plate. Um, Fields of Omar did it. Northerly did it. There's a host of different examples about horses having success after backing up from a Caulfield Cup towards a Cox Plate. And and I would love for this to happen. One of my favourite people in, in racing is the great Fred Kersley. His biggest regret, and I blame Greg Carpenter for this. Like, how come he gave, like, giving Northerly 60 kilos in a Melbourne Cup was a travesty. Like, Fred, and I think he still, if he had his time again, Fred would have went to a Melbourne Cup with Northerly after winning a Caulfield Cup Cox play.
2: Yeah, it's, um, you sort of find it, a lot of it around the world that the trainers are trying to play the handicapper. Yeah. There are. They're asking for an invitation to run. And I suppose they have to they have to set the benchmark somewhere. But I do agree that sixty is a hell of a lot of weight to be trying to drag around there. In, in the Melbourne. end, what, what was McKay Divas' last winning weight?
1: Fifty eight and a half, I think. So that's what that's what Gold trip has got in a Melbourne Cup. If he wins a Caulfield Cup, there's no way in the world they're going to give him a handicap for the Caulfield the Melbourne Cup. And they shouldn't. And that's going to be detrimental to the Caulfield Cup if they penalise these horses up the top of the weights for a Melbourne Cup, because no one will go in a Caulfield Cup. So I know it's a handicap and we've got to respect that, but I think I, I think he's weighted to his best already in a Melbourne Cup, regardless of the result in the Caulfield Cup.
2: Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, does, a, does the media, does, a, does the public call for a half a kilo?
1: No, oh, I wouldn't not this media train, would you call for half a kilo?
2: Uh, I, I I agree with you, Gareth. I do think he's probably weighted up to his best. Yeah. But, I mean, if the if the Irish horse doesn't turn up, I don't know. I think he can still win with 58 and a half.
1: Yeah. Well, he did carry 57 as top weight last year, and he only had one, one race.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So – but he's a different, he's a better horse this time around. There's no doubt about that. Well unto to Vienna Princess, this daughter of Stitzel. Gee, she looked, she looked pretty good the other day for Chris Waller and Karen McAvoy in the Silver Eagle.
2: Yeah, yeah she's come through pretty well, Gareth. She was a, uh, always a filly that had a good turn of foot and probably lacked the strength a little bit last year to run in the better races and finish well. But I thought her run was pretty good in the Silver Eagle. But... Big step up to Golden Eagle.
1: Correct. Alan Sharrock. Tell us a little bit about Alan Sharrock. He's a superstar trainer. and He's got a horse named after you that might be heading to the Melbourne Cup.
2: Well, Alan Sharrock and I go back a hell of a yes. long time, Gary.
1: That's why he's named this horse after you, ladies' man.
2: He he is one of the funniest buggers you would ever meet. <laughs> and uh, when I work uh, Bloodstock agent at New Zealand <laughs> Bloodstock. I used to go down and visit Alan, Alan in the, uh, the NACI. Yeah. And we'd go for a little drive. And we call, it's called Round the Mountain. And there's about six pubs around the mountain. And if you've been out with those Sherrick boys, you're not worth know I don't have to worry about having <laughs> a late dinner or anything. You're just straight into bed when you get home.
1: So, ladies, man, hopefully. They, they tell me the kiwis supposed to be competitive in a Melbourne Cup. So he was too strong in the Livermore Classic there, the group one on Saturday. Well done to Matty Dale with the front page. Geez, he's a st- the ill-fated Magnus. We lost him recently, but um, the, the Kosciuszko winner front page is a... He, like a horse side by Magnus deserves to be the king of the, the, the mountain of the Kosciuszko really, doesn't he? Like he's as tough as old boots.
2: Yeah. That race was over in one stride though, Gareth, wasn't it?
1: Yep. Yep. Tyler Schiller. I like him as a hoop.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got all the hair and that going. I'm sure he goes all right.
1: Yep. Well, until I'm I I'm, am. I'm Me was impressive. The daughter of I'm invincible. She got her conditions there on Saturday with that really firm track there at um, Randwick. And Asfura, I think she might head towards a winner bottom now to try and win her group one. She was devastating in that Scalacci. She deserves to win a group one that mare by flying Artie.
2: Well, you know, like uncommon Jane served it up to her and she, she basically just wandered off and won the race as she liked. Yeah. But going back to that, I am me, Mm. the second horse has come out of, Restricted grades, airman, and he looks like a bloody decent horse. I'm sure Wayne Hawkes would have spoken to you about him on your show the other day.
1: Yep. I tell you, the horse to follow out of that race clearly, and I I think they're going to the Manicato with her, and she won the Manicato last year, and she's at a big price with Bet 365 is that Bella Nipatina? Like wide yep. gate, firm track, totally against her on, on Saturday, and she, bef- like, that was the run of the race for mine.
2: Keep stepping up, Gareth. Keep stepping up. Always returns pretty good run and always use your decent price.
1: She's my black booker. Um, talking about black books, I'm talking through my pocket here, which I usually don't do, Guy. Tom Kitten. I don't know how he got that far back from that guy, that gate. Um, rapid yeah. attack was too strong, but, geez, Tom Kitten, 1,800-meter start, he draws through in his last. Like...
2: Yeah, um, probably hasn't really got the pedigree to suggest he'll get much further, but some horses do.
1: Yeah, but he was like, he had no right to keep on coming like he did the other day. Uh, but Rafatak, Gay Waterhouse and Andrew and Bot, and I was having a chat to a few people about this the other day, is that wide gates, they still go forward, Guy, where some stables always go back. They put their horses in the first four, so they haven't got the excuses of reg- um, relying on tempo and the like um, they make their own luck on speed and they take luck out of the equation and Rafa attacks a perfect example
2: yeah well you know you know when there's a waterhouse bot horse in the race that there's going to be tempo on yeah. and you can either go and serve it up to them to your own detriment or you hope they come back and most of the time they don't but um you know, like I think it I think it, it makes for good racing if you're gonna have plenty of pace on.
1: Totally agree. And I think that we might have found the thousand guineas winner on Saturday as well. Arctic glamour. She'll be mighty hard to beat the end of the spring at Caulfield. She got a lovely yeah. action and a turn of foot guy.
2: Well, you couldn't believe it on the world tote and she was just smashed right through the wall. Yeah. I think that must have been you with your pocket money there, Gareth.
1: I wish. That World Tote was fascinating to watch. I know that they take a bit of a percentage out, but I think that's the future for racing, the World Tote, for mine.
2: Well, it's a hell of a lot more fun than sitting in Queensland watching Unitab go around.
1: hundred um, percent. You make a very good point there. So they're the highlights from the weekend. We'll take a quick break. We'll get Guy's thoughts on the upcoming meeting at Caulfield especially. There's also the Five Diamonds prelude, at in Sydney on the weekend so there's still plenty to look forward to we'll talk a little bit about the international performances geez Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore I don't think I've ever seen them in one season come out with some big time quotes like they have with a host of their different thoroughbreds so I'll have a chat to you about that I think I've heard Aiden say that he's trained well three horses this year nearly the best that he's ever trained all in the one season Um, And we've got the captain's questions. And i tell you what, Captain, our emails are just there. Jacko has to pick and choose which ones to ask you these days. So um, we apologise if you don't make the cut this week, but um, they've been flowing in and we do appreciate that. Let's take a break. We'll come back with plenty more.
0: You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain.
1: Welcome back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banner podcast with the Captain Guy Molecast. My favourite day of the week, a Wednesday morning, catching up with the legend of the game. Um, Captain, I want to ask you about this Caulfield Cup on Saturday because it's going to be a terrific race. In fact, I think it's one of the better Caulfield Cups that I've seen for quite some time. Gold Trip is the favourite. Now, this is on a Wednesday morning. It hasn't been confirmed, I don't think, yet. Even though I thought we confirmed it yesterday, but it hasn't been officially confirmed yet, guy. That he's in a Caulfield Cup. Solcom at five dollars. West Wind blows at six. Without a fight, six. The Japanese galloper Breakup at eleven. Montefiore at eleven. Maca rides at fifty-four to get aboard Francesca Guardi at thirteen. Huyar Mel at fifteen. Valley at King at seventeen. Duke de Cesar at twenty-six. Okita Sushi, another one there. Uh, Joseph O'Brien at 26. First Immortal, he's probably the second emergency or first emergency at 34, then big prices for the rest. Um, who do you want to be on going into a Caulfield Cup?
2: I reckon the way you just ran through those, Gareth, and you got to one at $26, its runs have been good. It's probably crying out for the trip. Duke, Duke
1: I knew you would say that guy. I knew you would like. I was going to. I love, it. Yeah,
2: I loved the horse last year in Ireland. I wanted, to, tried to buy him, but uh as per normal, Willborn and Kieran Ma were way too strong. So uh, I wish them all the best, but I will be having something on him at twenty six dollars Saturday.
1: Willborn, he wouldn't pick up your bags, guy. So he must have heard you on the phone, did he?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm only joking, Will do text him, Will.
2: God bless for a lot. I think he's already gone to England anyway. He wanted to get there a couple of days before. Has he really?
1: Oh, no, he was on the phone to me yesterday. He wouldn't have gone yet, surely. Um,
2: was he, he not on the show?
1: He's great mates with Sheik Farhad, isn't he? He's like their best mates these days.
2: Sheik Farhad puts on pretty good parties and all likes going there. Oh,
1: okay. There. Um, we'll have to get Sheik Farhad on this show. Now, so the Caulfield Cup, so Duke to Sessor each way. What do you, from a breeding point of view, it doesn't really matter to us, um, us racing fans, and that with the thousand guineas at the end of the spring. Like I was talking to Racing Victoria the other day, they had a meeting, they brought in the media, and I can understand that they want to extend the spring by putting the thousand guineas there on the Sir Rupert Clark. But we've had this this chat before. If you want to. Ch- like shake up the spring and get more people involved in the spring after the Melbourne Cup Carnival. A thousand guineas or a Sir Rupert Clark Stakes not going to do that. You need to innovate and put on a new slot race or something completely different to get people's attention after the the, the, the Melbourne Spring. I mean, after the Flemington Carnival,
2: Gareth, this is a very long carnival. Yeah, full stop.
1: So mm-hmm.
2: hey, people have got it only got X amount of money to spend. There's only so many times they want to go to the races. And by the time they start having, after Melbourne Cup, people want to get ready for Christmas. Yeah. I think they should have left them where they were. And, um, you know, and build that Champions Day, as you said.
1: Yeah, the Champions Day has got all the ingredients of being the best day of racing for the spring. So looking forward to Caulfield Cup Day, we've got the Five Diamonds prelude, the big dance wild card, so it's a pretty handy meeting still there at, in Sydney on Saturday. From an international point of view, I don't says we, of course, at Belly Doyle and Cormore have never had a horse like this in reference to Justify Cult City of Troy, who took out the Jewish stakes in emphatic fashion. Aidan O'Brien in fact said like that they've never really got the to the bottom of City of Troy, which is unlike any other horse at Belly Doyle, as they gallop up that, that hill there at Belly Doyle, the he's indicated in that interview, usually you get to see the horses like they've had enough, but not this fellow by Justify. He's a machine guy. Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, he's taken all before him as a two-year-old. And I really look forward to seeing him. He should be better at three and I'd say he would be, but I mean, haven't they had an amazing year with him and Paddington and horses like that? They've had a continuous, you know, so it, it's been a really good year for Colmore and uh, Aidan O'Brien.
1: Yes. And, They've been had. They've, as I said, they've had a couple of big statements this year. Even Ryan Moore, as we found out in Australia, and I think that's just Ryan Moore is shy, but he's even been really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's made a couple of big statements with the quality of thoroughbred that he's been riding for Belly Door this year. So they might just have a crop that's just one out of the box this this season.
2: I think a fair few of those horses will end up going to the Breeders' Cup as well. Gareth should be a pretty bloody good meeting.
1: I'd love to go to a Breeders' Cup. It's just at the wrong time of the year for us Australians, really.
2: Well, why don't we just get SCN to put his private jet on for us and we'll whiz over there and whiz back?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good idea. I'll see what I can do. Um, unlike... Do we take? Oh. No, no, Blue Point. Is he made it to America? Blue Point, the progeny there. He had, a run, he had a runner in Canada, he just said, so he might come. Um, Yankee Rose, of course. He left
2: back, though, weren't he? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Yankee Rose, the horse that finished place in a Cox Plate, who is now a, a broodmare in Japan, has produced this filly, a once-in-a-lifetime filly by the name of Liberty Island, who joined the likes of Arma 9, winning Japan's Triple Tiara after winning the Group 1. I think it's the Shuka Show there on the weekend. Um, maybe we see her clash now with Equinox in a Japan Cup. Wouldn't that be something else, guy?
2: It would, but you don't. It wouldn't be a hell of a lot of fun waking up in the morning knowing you have to go and take Equinox on, would it?
1: No, but you've got to be up for the challenge. You never know. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to put the gloves on. Um, Sarah Des, which is a daughter of Stern, an underrated stallion for minor Stern, um, will head to the Magic Millions virtual sale and uh, she looks like she could be a breeding proposition could she still even race i don't know why they're selling her but um the virtual sale there's a sale nearly every day these days in in the world that we live in guy
2: yeah it's interesting though isn't it you know like it, it only they only have to get a bit of video footage and a pedigree page and whack it on the internet and away you go so it's you know it's pretty good and all the sales companies seem to be doing it and Keeps everybody interested. There's one getting sold in New Zealand on Gavel House Plus today, and that one you just mentioned. I'm sure Inglis will have another one next week. So it all plays out pretty well for the virtual sales.
1: And this week, I wanted to touch on this towards the back end of the show. In fact, we might take a break, and then we'll come back with Jackson France and his questions. We'll also touch on the passing of Vega Showgirl, which was the mother of one of the greatest of all time, in Winks. We'll take a break and come back with plenty more
0: you're listening to breeding bloodstock and banter with gareth hall and the captain
1: welcome back to the breeding bloodstock and banter podcast with the one and the only the captain guy moldcaster gareth Hall. with you jackson francis about to join us but we lost vegas showgirl the dam of winks this week guy what a superstar she was an absolute darling
2: yeah it so- was Sad time for passing of her, but I mean, for, uh, for John Camilleri, he's lucky enough to have a couple of daughters of, of the great show, uh, Vegas showgirls. So the, um, the family line runs on, and Winx has got that filly to sell at Easter next year as well.
1: Yeah, so she passed away peacefully on Sunday morning, and what a legacy she would leave producing um, what many say was de- definitely the greatest of our generation in the modern era, um, and you know her pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. so um, yeah, and she not only produced Winks, she was never going to produce another horse like a wings, but um, her other progeny, and we're seeing them now, are well above average. Guy,
2: yeah, definitely, and uh, you know, it's it's a beautiful family, and I'm sure it's just going to keep flowing on.
1: What about Jackson France? All right, now he's he's in his early 20s, he produces this podcast of my show, and Giddy Up, he's he's become a man of he's 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 a bit of an entrepreneur as well he, like he's starting to breed horses and the like but it's the middle of the the spring carnival guy and he's about to join us I just need to get your opinion on this because it's hard to really talk to the younger generation without upsetting them these days so you got to really you know tread warily but he's got a horse in a call field so he's decided to come and do this podcast and then take the rest of the day off because he's got to concentrate on his horse racing at racing at Caulfield.
2: Yeah, but Gareth, you know, like it's like when you get up on Saturday morning, you're got excitement about the yeah. races. You get in there, you have your big greasy breakfast, you have a couple of schooners, you head out to the track.
1: Couple of and darts. it
2: takes and it takes a whole day. You have to get in in, in the in the motion of it, you know. So what race is Jack Jackson in today? Hello,
1: Jackson France, the son of Blue Point. Good morning.
0: <laughs> morning, Gareth. Morning, Captain. Um, yeah, Oracle's son, Philip Stokes, goes around in race six at Caulfield. So I think you can run a big race. It's around $17 with Bet365, back up to the 1100th and uh, metres, and John McNeil uh, take the ride.
2: I only asked what race it is, was in. I didn't want a whole replay of the bloody form guide.
1: Now, I won't mention any owners in this beautiful game because we don't <laughs> like to upset many people on this podcast, Guy, do we? I won't mention any owners, but...
2: just just give Jackson the microphone for one minute and he goes yeah. off and you hear 15 minutes later, he's back.
1: Old mate Jacko, old mate Jacko's got his own set of colours, all right? So we've yeah. got a few horses in our syndicate with Giddy Up. So he, he gets these horses, gets his mates into them, and I don't know what percentage he keeps, but under the one circumstance that we have to race in his colours. So he's got horses with his colours everywhere, everywhere you go. And he's the smallest shareholder in it.
2: Uh, That's that's the joy of being the manager, though, Gareth. And you have to put up with those texts and those phone calls and those people that seem to know more than the trainer, the jockey, and the market support.
1: We've been getting a few of those, haven't we, with our giddy-up syndicate. The, the worst culprits, David Taggart, who keeps on complaining. But um, anyway, Jack, we are running out of time. Hello to you, mate. Morning, Gareth. Good luck today. I hope you get the chocolates. <laughs> Thanks, man. I
2: appreciate it. Um, what? Cal- so when you're in race six, that must be about three o'clock, is it?
0: Uh, 4.25. <laughs> okay,
2: so you can work till at least two o'clock. You can get changed in the office have a wash in the toilet, Sarah, and head out to Caulfield, and you'll have plenty of time to get there for your race. Yeah, Yeah, I like the sound of that. Yeah, he's
0: already looking for members' tickets and all that kind of stuff. Trying to scab and be in touch with Dana and Gareth. Haven't heard back yet, but I'm sure we'll have something.
1: My beautiful fiance, she lives, works at MIC and so all the boys at work are looking for members to they drive me insane guy. Anyway, we've just completely gone
0: off the beat. Um, back on track here, but yep. plenty of questions have come through as always, Captain. As your fame continues to grow. And this is from Mitch. He says, What stood out to you when inspecting Kovalika? Was he a horse
2: you knew you had to come home with? I uh, no, he was just the he was just the run-of-the-mill horse. He was uh strong. He was uh, he came from a good farm. Uh he he was, I didn't know, I only saw him once because it was a, it was a COVID year. So I'd been to Stud. I had a look at him, put him on my list, came back to Australia, gave uh, Neville Morgan a ring, said we were going to buy three horses. I think they might have all been three ocean parks actually that year. He was the cheapest of them. He's won the most money.
0: John sent through two questions. Um, for this week's episode. And the first of those, he says, what is Chris Waller Light's like work alongside? Is there any key characteristics and personality traits that you believe have allowed him to reach such lofty heights?
2: Well, he's got an amazing work ethic. So um, most of the time, I just, just leave him alone, leave him to do what he does, and uh, and don't second-guess him because most of the time he comes out on top.
1: And he doesn't listen to you because you wanted to go to the Cox Plate, and he's told you, "No, you shush guy, you just pick him out at the yielding sales. We're going... We're
0: going to the golden eagle. About
2: how, that's about how the ball bounces, Gareth.
0: Gareth asked you this question a few times, Captain. You've kept your cards pretty close to your chest. Don't John, throw me under the no, bus, this question that no, no, John put out. This is where I'm moving to. But, Captain, when you often ask, do you have any two-year-olds at home, he keeps them pretty quiet, keeps them under wraps. But John says, does Chris have any promising two-year-olds you've purchased at home that you're excited for? Waste of
2: time there, John, asking that question. Well, you know, really. Does John want the invoice for the training fees every week? <laughs> you know, like, I don't even feeding. know why
1: you bother. Surely there's
2: something was, that, that was try. tried. This God. is true, Gareth. Yeah. Bloke goes to the sales, Yeah. pays a, a hundred percent. I agree he's, with you. He's entitled to have a, have a little fly at the stumps when he has his first start, you know?
1: Correct. Oh, like, I totally agree.
2: Imagine if Noel Greenholch had a nice. Horse running today, and I, I went and told everybody they should back it, and the price was gone. He'd just go mad at me.
1: He'd be a good bloke to have a beer with, wouldn't he? The the king of the markets in Brisbane. I chatted to him the other days in Chris Wallace slot. Um, he's got a punters club at his local uh, at his local local pub. So uh, no wonder you get on
2: well with him. Good man, Noel, one of the best. But don't upset him; he gets a bit angry. Oh, does he? Yeah. The fiery Irishman.
1: Well, he, he he's got a share in Gold Trip as well, hasn't he?
2: He has. Yeah, he might. and he had the Melbourne Cup up here the other day. Yep.
1: Wonder if he knows if it's going to the Caulfield Cup or not, Guy. Maybe we can we can oh, we, Irishman.
2: We might be able to tell John, and he can have his five dollars on that one before three o'clock, yeah. before the price. Comes in.
0: Um, final question this morning. Captains come through from Camens in response to a. A RaceNet article, which has quoted Glenn Boss, is saying that we have far too many group ones and they've lost their sensitivity. What are your thoughts on Bossy's comments?
2: Um, Basically, the group ones are worked out by the patent Committee and it's it's done on ratings from over years and years and years. So if a race starts to drop down with the amount of uh, qualified horses running in the race, then they drop the rate, they put the hook put the race on a warning, and then they drop its uh, status down. So it's done It's done very, very seriously. And that's the um, the race at King George that was on Saturday. That's how they got that straight to a Group 1 because they it was an existing race that they changed the name of, changed the date, and had the Group 1 status. So it's not like they're just having new races and having Group 1s. It's just that... It's just a system that's worked for years and years, and I don't think there are too many because there's thousands of horses racing in Australia.
1: Yeah. The, the, the mistake that they made in the Everest, I think if Pete had his time again, they would have put the premier stakes as the Everest and then a bit like they did with the George Main. But um, it's like for racing fans, I had this chat on 1170 with Maddie White last, last week. Like, does it matter to the racing fans... It matters, I guess, to the breeze, but who gives a continental if it's a group one or not the Everest? We all know it's the best sprint race in this country. If you're looking at the page and you've got an Everest winner, you're thinking, well, that's a pretty good page. You're know, not going to say, oh, well, it hasn't got a group one at one at Everest. I'm going to put a line through this horse. Like, please.
2: Totally right there, Gareth. As soon as people say, hey, it was placed in the Everest or it ran <laughs> yeah. fourth in the Everest or it got beaten 2.5 in the Everest, it's going to make a hell of a lot of difference to the broodmare rather than the Group 1 status.
1: 100%. The, the patent committee are like, you don't need a patent committee to know that the Everest is a good race. So, so sometimes I just like, it doesn't make sense anyway. Captain, just got to keep life simple. We wish you the best of luck going into this week. You make sure that you, can you give me some of those pajamas and all that? I love those pajamas that you get in first class. Can you Can you get me a pair of those?
2: Yeah, well, it's going to be a bit like that Flemington story from last week. I'm going to get turfed out as soon as I turn left instead of turning right when I go in the doors, Gareth. So I'm sure they have some, um, I think they have some little flip-flops down in in, uh, economy that I'll be able to bring back for you. They're like about 10 cents each made in China.
1: When you're on on the quick backup, you can't afford to be in economy. You need to keep, like, you, you need to get your sleep.
2: But I will, what I will do is I'll speak to Will Bourne because he definitely goes first class and I'll get some pyjamas and we'll you. bring them to Mooney Valley next Saturday for you, Gareth.
1: He's probably in Sheik Fahad's private jet, so you won't see him at the airport. He, he's a different airport. Thanks for that, mate. Thanks, Gareth. There we go. There is Guy Moldcast. That's a breeding bloodstock and banner podcast once again with the captain, Guy Moldcast. I'm Gareth Hall. Thank you, Jack. I forgot to say goodbye to you. Good luck with your horse today.